I am starting a sermon series today on the Minor Prophets. These are the 12 books of the Bible in the Old Testament that come right at the end. They take about only 50 to 60 pages of the Old Testament. These are those guys that have those unpronounceable names that you've probably never heard of. However, they are not called minor because they are unimportant or insignificant, but they're called minor because the books are short. And one of the things that I appreciate a lot about the minor prophets is that they get in, they state their case, they point out what God's view is, they wrap it up, and they get out. To which I know a lot of you are thinking, I sure wish Pastor John's sermons were more minor. (laughs) Well, uh, Joel uh, lived and prophesied early in Israel's history, after the time of Solomon, but before the exile. And his uh, book was written during a time when a lot of things had gone wrong in Israel. They had some really bad leaders. They had just suffered through a national plague that I'll talk about a little bit more later on. There was civil unrest. There was economic uncertainty. Their stock market was down. Foreign trade was low. National confidence was non-existent. Many people believed the country was headed in the wrong direction. Does that sound familiar to anything going on in our country right now? So, even though this was written back in 800 BC, it still has relevance for us today. And so with that, I want to invite you to join me as I read our first scripture of the morning from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame burns. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden, but after them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, and like war horses, they charge. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. Each keeps to its own course. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each keeps to its own track. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run up upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice at the head of his army. How vast is his host. Numberless are those who obey his command. Truly, the day of the Lord is great. Terrible indeed. Who can endure it? Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting 
and weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The uh, movie, The Day After Tomorrow, is a uh, fictional action thriller that kind of gives us a front seat as to what the world would look like as a result of a global climate catastrophe. In the movie, we witness firsthand the world's climate system change dramatically and for the worst. For example, Tokyo, Japan is hit by softball-sized hail. It begins to snow in, of all places, New Delhi, India. Los Angeles, California is destroyed by a group of tornadoes that all hit at the same time. Now, the movie also shows other worldwide disasters caused by hurricanes, tidal waves, floods, and the beginning of the next ice age right in the middle of New York City. Well, the doom and gloom and destruction in the book of Joel is not caused by any global warming or climate change, but by a swarm of locusts. And like tornadoes, and like hurricanes, and like floods, they devastate and destroy everything in its path, causing starvation, disease, poverty, and death. Locusts are like giant grasshoppers on steroids that eat everything in sight. They even eat the bark off of trees and they leave behind a wasteland of destruction. And as they get more desperate, they they swarm into houses. They eat food and clothing and furniture. They're like teenagers at a pizza party. (laughs) They leave nothing behind. And so while the day after tomorrow shows what can happen when there are changes in the weather, the swarm of locusts in the book of Joel becomes this living object lesson of God's judgment, his judgment on the people of Israel. More importantly, it serves as a wake-up call. As I said earlier, this is the first Sunday in my summer sermon series on the 12 minor prophets, what I am calling majoring in the minors, And this week, we are looking at the prophet Joel in the Hebrew, Yoel, which means Jehovah is God. And so I invite you to join me as we look at our second scripture reading, also from the second chapter of Joel, and it is verses 28 through 32a. I invite you to follow along. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves, in those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you identify with this following prayer? Dear Lord, so far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy or greedy. 
nasty or mean. I haven't been overindulgent. But in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Human sin is the great reality of life. It is completely verifiable. If you don't believe me, just turn on the news. Read about it in the newspaper. Look on your computer when you're on the internet or look at your phone. See what's happening around the world. See what's happening in this country. See what's happening right here in the state of Pennsylvania. We've got drugs and domestic disputes. We've got pornography and poverty. We've got gangs and guns. If you've been watching the news or reading the newspaper, you know that two weeks ago, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos fatally shot 19 students and two teachers and wounded 17 other people at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Earlier that a day, he shot his grandmother in the forehead while at her home, severely wounding her. Let's face it, things are not as God originally intended. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so, does the church have a word for people who kind of live in these scary times? Does the church have a profound word to speak to people who live somewhere between anxiety and uncertainty? Well, in Joel chapter 2, he sounds the alarm to wake us up, to bring us back to God. He says in verse 13, return to the Lord. He says, let this adversity, this, this plague of locusts that's eating everything else up in sight, let that be a wake-up call to you of what's really important. So let me just pause here, ask you a question. Are you someone here today, or someone watching, who is facing your own plague of locusts? Maybe it's the plague of loneliness after a, a failed relationship. Maybe it's a plague of exhaustion over a job that just drains you. For any of you parents out there, maybe it's a plague of frustration because of a rebellious child. It could be a, a plague of grief over the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a, a plague of unease because of your financial situation. Maybe it's a, it's a plague of bitterness over a friend who disappointed you. Our locust plagues can bleed us white and suck us dry. So, how do we respond? Someone has said, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. We react by turning or returning to the Lord and submitting ourselves to his will for our lives. To reach that point of spiritual maturity where we say, hey, you know what? This plague is bigger than me and any of my abilities. This plague is bigger and greater than the resources that I have for myself. And so that's why Joel says, hey, is life sucking you dry? Then look to the one who provides moisture, nourishment, and life. Let, let this devastation that is going on 
sound the trumpet of alarm that brings you back to God. And friends, that means, that means we are going to have to repent. Now to repent simply means to admit our failures before God. I think we would admit that we all need to do that. I mean, that's why we had that prayer of confession earlier in our worship service. That's why we had that silence for personal confession. That's that time that we give, not nearly enough, of course, for you to have with God. That, that, that broken intimacy that you have with God and perhaps with other people that, that have unraveled as well. Reminds me, the pastor who was doing the, uh, the uh, welcome and announcements one Sunday morning, and he sensed that the microphone was not working properly, and he was getting ready to begin in what it was a very traditional greeting in that church. The Lord be with you, and the people will respond, and also with you. Well, on this particular Sunday, the, the, the pastor tapped the microphone several times, but he didn't hear anything. And so he thought he was speaking into a dead microphone. He said, there's something wrong with this darn thing. And the people responded, yeah, that's what they said. <laughs> now, in the Old Testament, the term for repentance means turning back. It's literally to retrace your steps in order to return to right living to reorient our priorities and re-aim our direction to the path that we were once on. One of the things that we're going to discover together in our uh, summer sermon series is that the prophets experienced firsthand the pain of a nation that did not want to repent or a people who did not think they needed to repent. So next week, I'm going to be talking about the prophet Amos who complained bitterly over how the people of Israel had ignored the poor and the suffering. The week after that, we'll be looking at the pain in Hosea, which mirrored God's broken heart because of Israel's unfaithfulness. Well, Joel says that Israel had one big problem. I heard about a guy who uh, went to the doctor and he was complaining that everything on his body hurt. This is what he told the doctor, everything hurts. And the doctor says, show me. And so he pointed to his shoulder and says, hurts here. And he pointed to his head and said, hurts there. And then he pointed to his stomach and said, it hurts there. And the doctor said, you dummy, you've got a dislocated finger. <laughs> <laughs> now, many times we feel like there are a host of things going wrong in our lives, but actually there's only one thing that is wrong, and that's the sin in our lives. Now, what's interesting to me in reading through the book of Joel is that he never points out to a particular sin of the people. He just calls them to repent. He just calls them to turn back to God. He says, return to the Lord your God. And that is so hard for us, isn't it? Because we don't want to change. Reminds me of what Mark Twain once said. He said, the only person who wants change is a baby with a wet diaper. We don't want to repent. We don't want to change. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. And so we make excuses one after the other. One of my uh, favorite cartoon strips is the family circus. You can see it on the screen. There's a couple of slides. And whenever uh, the kids uh, have to respond to the parents who say, all right, who is kicking the table? And you got, not me, I don't know, nobody, not me, but then you have all the nobody ghosts underneath the table. Go to the next slide. 
Here the mom is saying, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway, which of you broke my good plate? I don't know, not me, nobody, says the ghost. And then finally, I think there's one more. Who threw sunflower seeds over this floor? And of course, there's a shrug of the shoulder, the not me, right? Not me, wasn't me, I don't know, somebody else. When we get to adults, the narrative changes just a little bit because we give it a different name. We give it the name victimization. All across the country, people are saying, my life is a mess, it's not my fault, it's your fault, and guess what, you're gonna have to pay me money. Have you been following the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? So, do you know what true repentance is? Sometimes I, I will voice text somebody, and then I'll look at it, and I'll say, I didn't say that. <laughs> and, and you know, how do you fix that? Well, you, you sort of type an asterisk, and then you type the word that you meant to type. And then you hit send, and then you move on. But you know what? That's not real repentance. Repentance, instead, is the other times when I'm working on a document, and my computer just freezes. I mean, the, the keyboard won't work, the cursor won't move on the screen, and, and sometimes this has happened when I've been working on a sermon, and of course I haven't saved it. Would you like to see frustrated? So I'll get up, I'll stomp around the room, I'll fume, and I'll say and think some nasty things about those good people at Apple. And then comes this dawning awareness that if I want to move forward, I'm going to have to shut down my computer and reboot. I'm going to have to say goodbye to what was there before. Well, repentance is like rebooting your life. It, it's going dark and then coming back to light. It's saying goodbye to what was there before and writing a whole new chapter of our lives before God. I love that verse that comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's also a hymn in our hymn book. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Joel says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you think you may have heard those words before, you're right, you have. Peter quoted these very words of Joel in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. You remember the scene, the Holy Spirit comes in power, earth, wind, and fire, and then in the middle of this pyrotechnical event, Peter preaches a five-minute sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Boy, I'd love to put that on my resume. Well, friends, in the midst of the dryness of our lives, God pours his spirit out and over us. Now, the Greek word is the word parakletos. It means counselor, comforter, advocate, but it was also a term used in military jargon. Parakletos meant battle partner. When you were locked into a fierce battle with an enemy, you would fight back to back. And the code among soldiers was, you watch my back, I'll watch yours. And so a parakletos was a protector who never left you. Friends, in the face of the locust plagues that we experience, they do nothing to change the fact, they do nothing to change the truth that God is for us 
and that he wishes to replenish us with his thirst-quenching love. When we stand up and say in the Apostles' Creed, like we will in just a couple of moments, I believe in the Holy Ghost, we're not just saying that God is over us or for us, but also that God is at work within us. So he will be our hope. He will be our guide. He will be our friend in, in the midst of all the plagues and troubles that life throws at us. Lewis and Clark uh, left Missouri um, on their expedition, and it took over 18 months for them to blaze a new trail to go to places that they'd never been before until they finally arrived at their destination in Oregon. Round trip, it is said, they covered 4,100 miles. Now, President Thomas Jefferson had sent them out to claim a land before anyone else had a chance to get there. Lewis and Clark could not have successful, successfully made that trip without their guides. Now, the guides did not make the trip perfect. That journals that were kept record that some members along, on that trip died along the way. Some travelers froze to death. Some were killed by bears, bitten by snakes. Some got smallpox. Some just got tired and scared and went home. But the guides took them and led them to places they had never been before. Jesus said, our guide the Holy Spirit leads us to places that we have never gone before. So if there's rebellion, or fear, or anxiety, or uncertainty, this guide says, don't stop. Let's keep going. Through the voice of the prophets and the power of the Holy Spirit, as a church, let's not stop. Let's keep on going. As, guide, as God continues to guide us to new depths and new heights of faith and prayer and study and devotion and repentance and service so that we might wake up and be the people that God has called us to be. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, it's uh, truly astonishing to think that you desire to use each one of us to, to build up your body. In fact, you call us to wake up. You call us to bring your healing grace to this broken world. You call us to represent Jesus through our service to you. Bless us, guide us, lead us to speak your truth, to follow your word, and to live and love as Jesus did. In his name we pray, amen. Well, friends, I invite you to stand now as we do affirm our faith by saying with one another the Apostles' Creed. You can find, find it printed in your bulletin or also on the screen. Let us stand together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please be seated. Well, as is our custom here at Chestnut Level, we celebrate around the Lord's table on the first Sunday of each uh, month, every other month, the even-numbered months, and so it's uh, wonderfully worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit for us to celebrate uh, communion on this uh, first Sunday of June, which also happens to be Pentecost Spirit, uh, Pentecost Sunday. And we ask for God's Spirit to be with you as you come, not because you're worthy, not because you deserve it, but because we are all in need of God's grace. We are all in need to wake up to be the people that God has called us to be. Let us pray together. Holy God, in Jesus Christ, our spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, he gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made, us, made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And so on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, pour out your Holy Spirit on us who are gathered and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them to be for us the body and blood of Christ that we together as a new creation and a new community around the world may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, help the body of Christ be one to bear fruit until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all glory and honor are yours now and forevermore, O God. Amen.